This episode is brought to you by Skinny Pop Popcorn. Perfectly popped, endlessly delicious. Oh, so light and crunchy. Skinny Pop Original Popcorn is the snack you've been searching for. Made with just three simple ingredients, popcorn kernels, sunflower oil, and salt. Snacking never felt or tasted so good. Perfectly popped, endlessly delicious. Give yourself permission to snack and pick up Skinny Pop Original Popcorn today. Do you have a student that sticks with you? Oh, God. I had one. Do you get deep on this podcast? Of course. Buckle up. Okay, I'm ready. You're talking to the right girl. Come on. Uh, I'm so glad you're here. Thanks for having me. So I watched, okay, our youngest daughter is dyslexic. Oh, yeah. So spelling test. Get her. Nightmare. Yeah. So I was like, uh, this guy Joe's coming on my podcast. You have to watch this YouTube clip of this. She thought that was the funniest thing because I think what you were doing is how she spells real words. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So she's like, you know, Z-R-Q-F is the word tree. (laughs) For sure. For sure. For sure. Okay. So I actually riddled an ADHD. I had an IEP, all that too, when I was a student. So when I was a teacher... I just wanted to make it fun for the kids. Like, yeah. I just wanted them to have a good time and, you know, have school be a, be a place that they enjoyed. So I was pulling shit like that left and right. That's so just awesome. Just playing games with them and making it something. You fun, know? right? Yeah, yeah. Because it should be fun. I mean. It should not be torture. I don't want to be somewhere that's not fun. No, heck no. How long did you teach? 10 years. Oh, my God. Elementary school, everything kindergarten to sixth grade, except for first and second. Wow. Yep. Mm-hmm. Did you like it? I loved it. I loved the kids. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of bullshit. There's a lot of sad bullshit. Too. Yeah. Like that, what? Like, what do you mean? Just the system isn't really designed for the betterment of the kids, really. And you have your hands tied behind your back the whole time. You try the best that you can. And it's never good enough. And that that weighs on you. They so, come in with so much baggage, too. Do you go home with that every night? The kids come in with baggage? Oh, yeah. So what is the system designed to do if it's not designed? It's There's two, personal opinion. Yes, Too totally. many regulations in place that you have to meet in order to get the kid what they need. So, for example, like an IEP for a student with special needs. If I'm teaching them in kindergarten, that's the hardest to get them uh, any sort of special accommodations. But they're making you get six, eight, 12 months of data before they'll actually put the accommodations in place. Yeah. 12, six months is too late. Yeah. No, no. I, yeah. That's my kid. Yeah. Yeah. I'm the professional teacher. I see this kid every single day. Yeah. I knew from day two that there's something going on. Let's do it now. Yeah. And it was just uh, every was day, kid. a different battle. Yeah. You explained my kid. I knew it in kindergarten too. Yeah. And you guys probably had to advocate, advocate, advocate until uh, you got your way, right? I did. Yeah. I kept, I kept playing dumb. I kept going, Am I dumb? But I mean, like, she's the only kid who doesn't know her ABCs. Mm-hmm. The only one. Mm-hmm. Something's wrong. Oh, it's developmental. She's a young kid for her grade. She'll figure it out by third grade. It's going to be set. And I'm like, by third grade? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. By third grade, she's done. I mean, by then you're you're writing in cursive. Come on. You got to exactly. know your ABCs before that. But she, I did it all through kindergarten. And in first grade, by December, her first grade teacher said, she's dyslexic. Like, this is just classic. So let's get her, let's get this ball rolling. Yep. So she pushed it with the school. Yeah. 
And she got, she helped me get it done. Great teacher. Thank you, Victoria Katz. Ooh, Miss Katz. I love Miss Katz. She killed it. She killed it. She was a great teacher and she got it done for Isla. And yeah, it was really crazy is the school psychologist that evaluated her said, you know, state of California doesn't recognize dyslexia as a disability. So I can't even qualify her. So they had to qualify her for something else. It's ridiculous. It's unreal. So I can't imagine teaching under those circumstances. Very difficult. Very difficult. You asked if I miss it. I miss the kids. Yeah. That's the one thing. There just, there's so much. I mean, I'm a comic. Every day was my own TV show. Yeah, right. You never know what's going to happen. So I thrive in that chaos, you know? Yeah. Which made it, which made it so great. But I don't miss that feeling of, um, trying so hard to get nowhere. Yeah. All that, you know, you get so much thrown at you. Never, never a thank you. Mm. It's hard. It's a hard profession. It takes a very strong person. For where, sure. Where did you teach? I taught in Detroit and Chicago oh, and wow. Seattle. Oh, wow. But yeah. Were you in west. the city? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Detroit, I taught in the outside suburbs, um, which was, you know, an eye-opening experience. And it really taught me like what school is. I went in as a 22-year-old thinking I was going to be sunshine and rainbows the whole time too. And it was a rude awakening too. Oh, honey. Really? Oh, honey. Yeah. Wait, where did you grow up? Detroit. Just in outside Detroit. Detroit. Okay, yeah, so just you're outside. from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I would imagine I'm, I am doing a stereotypical, really bad white girl thing, but I would imagine you had a very typical childhood, nothing extraordinary or in a, in a negative way. Yeah. Very kind of suburban. Yeah. That would be the assumption I would make just from talking to you for a few minutes. True, true. Um, so what of that is wrong? Nothing. Nothing? <laughs> no. My parents are great. So funny too. They were, I grew up in a big comedy family. Huh. So I was exposed to stand up early, mm-hmm. which is kind of where I found this outlet. Mm-hmm. And um, what do you mean a comedy family? They were showing me. I oh, saw okay. Kathy Griffin when I was nine years old live. They, oh, okay. Yeah. So they were big comedy fans. Oh, I didn't know if you meant that they, someone was a comic. No Actually, one was no. a comic. Okay, got it. But big fans. the third grade talent show, um, I said I wanted to do stand-up. But my parents pursued me to do that. And that's that was my first official set when I was eight years old in third grade. Oh, my God. And that kind of set it on fire, too. And I always had a really good you know, school experience, great teachers who really harnessed my creativity. So that's why I kind of went into the profession right. and did comedy on the side until it became my job. That's great. It was wild. I bet it was. I, what a juxtaposition and also exactly the same thing, right? Oh, my God. Yeah. My students prepared me for hecklers and my hecklers prepared me for my students. The end. <laughs> That's the end. Awesome. Kindergartners are just drunk adults. That's so funny. That's it. That's all it is. It's true. No filter. No, I, okay. When you're with kindergartners, rule number one, don't change anything. They can't handle any sort of change. I dyed my hair one time. Mm-hmm. And when I walked in, they were like, why would you do that? <laughs> and I told them I just wanted to look a little younger. And one of the girl goes, but what are you going to do? What are you gonna do about your face, though? (laughs) Not much at this point. (laughs) I think we're just doomed, babe. I think we're just doomed together. Stuck with this one. Yeah, but that was every day, and that sort of like that was hilarious. And that's when my comedy picked up too, because I started talking about what was happening in the classroom this week, and just seeing the way that people connect to that Mm -hmm. energy. Mm -hmm. Like that's when it took off. Yeah, because uh, so many people obviously have kids. Yeah. So many people have kids. Mm -hmm. And 
some of those things are so priceless and you can't make it up. At all. No, At you can't all. make it up. I love it though. No. I the one time was <laughs> I came to pick her up from kindergarten and her teacher was like, So I need you to know that Isla was benched for recess today. So I want her to tell you why. Oh God, oh God, oh God. And then I want to see what she says. So you ask her why and then let me know what she says. <laughs> so I go to Isla and I go, hey, I heard you got benched for recess today. She goes, yep. So what happened? She said, you know, there's a rug with the squares on it. She was sit on the square and their classroom was like two classrooms with a bathroom and like lockers in between or cubbies or whatever. So... She said, I, I said, what happened? She said, well, I, I got off the square. I said, you did? Uh, well, why would that get you on the bench? She said, well, Mr. V told me nobody could get off the square. And I got off the square. I said, well, why did you get off the square? She sat there for a minute. She went, Ben Cortez put a sock in the toilet and I just had to see it. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay, I'm with you. Yeah. It's worth being benched for recess, that one. That's it. That's <laughs> I got true. it. That's true. That's, that's it. And that was every day. <laughs> right? Every day, that sort of stuff. So amazing. Oh, one time we had a hummingbird get into our classroom. Oh, my God. I don't think I taught a single academic skill the rest of the week. <laughs> it was, oh, my God. All they wanted to talk about was the hummingbird, draw pictures <laughs> of the hummingbird, reenact the hummingbird. It was chaos. That's amazing. Chaos, but, you know, organized chaos. We thrive in that. Yes, indeed. <laughs> do you have a student that sticks with you? I have a couple. You do. I have a couple. You know, there was some, oh God, I had one around the holidays. Do you get deep on this podcast? Of course. Buckle up. Okay, I'm ready. You're talking to the right girl. Come on. I had a student who was, when he came to me in fourth grade, I knew he was in foster care. Um, he got shuffled around twice before Christmas and then got put into another foster care situation that uh, seemed to be going really well. And right before we left for Christmas break, he, I was walking the kids out for the day and a taxi cab showed up. And I, they were like, are you looking? At the, where is this student? I go, well, who, who are you and what's going on? He goes, I'm here to pick him up. And I go, I, this isn't normal let me make a phone call. I'm going to take him with me. Let me get this straightened out. When he left to come to school that day, when the kid was dropped off, the foster family gave it up, signed him away, and oh. he was going to a new foster home. In a cab? With no... In the cab, they had two boxes of his stuff. Oh, my God. In a cab, was going to go to this new foster place. Big no-no to ever drive a student somewhere, right? Mm -hmm. As a teacher. But I sat there and looked at this kid and I was like, there is no way in hell that if this was my kid, even if I had a kid in foster care, that I would feel comfortable knowing that he got in a cab, dropped off to unknown people and had to stay there for the night. So I told the cab driver, he's getting in my car. Mm -hmm. I will follow you. So you did your job mm -hmm. and I'm going to take him so I can introduce him to this new family. I can help him set up his new bedroom, all of that. I go, we set him up. I tell him to have a good night. I'll see him in school the next day. And he comes to school. Everything's going okay. It's Christmas break. We're on Christmas break. I'm at Christmas with my family. And I, I actually picked him up from foster care. He spent Christmas with my family that day. Oh that my year. gosh. I get a phone call on Christmas that 
his dad had overdosed mm. and died. Oh my God. And I, as the teacher, was the next person in line. Uh, so I had to tell him. Oh my God. I had to tell him. So after I dropped him back off to foster care, the plan was or to his foster home. They were going to take him to the foster center. I was going to meet them there. And we were going to all do it. I had to meet with the counselors to figure out like the wording and what was going to go on. And nothing will ever, ever change me in that way to deliver that message and watch a kid just absolutely melt into nothing because you're telling them that their parent has passed away. And that's this type of thing for a teacher that they cannot teach you in any sort of undergrad and any sort of experience. You just have to be a person who can do it. Right. And I didn't think that I was, but I was. Mm -hmm. And those are the stories that I tell young people who want to go into teaching. I'm like, okay, listen to this. Can you handle that? Could you be there for that kid? This could happen to you. And this is real. This is real life. And it's that sort of stuff that kind of will, will stay with you for the rest of your life. Right. The rest of your life. How could it not? Yeah. Yeah. Do you know where he is? Wife of the Party is sponsored by Waxer. My kids love this company. Waxer is like boxer for women. They have underwear. They have like boy shorts underwear. They have sports bra type bras, all comfy, all stretchy. The The fabric is so soft. Uh, they love them. My kids wear them as underwear. My kids wear them as, as sleepwear, as loungewear. Uh, I love them myself because they're just super comfortable. They don't ride up. They don't bind in any place. They're just, they're just super comfortable and they're all very cute fabric. It's, they're adorable. Underwear that looks like outerwear. So you can run all your errands in your boxer, boxer briefs. Walk your dog, grocery shop, pick up your dry cleaning, grab a coffee, and you still look adorable. If you want to experience all day comfort in the softest underwear ever made, then you're in luck. Go to www.waxer.com and use code WIFE15 to get 15% off your first order. Again, that's www.waxer.com, code WIFE15. Once you go Waxer, you'll never go back. Wife of the Party is sponsored by DraftKings. DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL playoffs, is bringing you an offer that'll help make the playoffs electrifying. New customers can bet five bucks on any game and get 200 instantly in bonus bets. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the code WIFE. New customers can bet just five bucks to get 200 instantly in bonus bets. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with the code WIFE. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash football for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Do you know where he is? I, this ends on a positive note. I love it. He started, he had a lot of uh, developmental issues too. Uh, blurred speech, some, some different cognitive things going on. 
And he started talking about his sister out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. And everyone's like, he doesn't have a sister. He doesn't have a sister. But it was coming up over and over and over again. And I dropped the line to foster care. I was like, I think you should look in to see if he has like some family members. He had an older sister Mm -hmm. who detached herself from the family a while ago and had her own family of her own and had no idea of any of this was going on. Wow. When foster care contacted her, she ended up being a classroom helper in my room. Shut up. To start to be a relationship with him. End of the year, she adapted him into her family. Oh my God. That's incredible. Wow. It's that sort of thing that it's like, you don't know what goes on behind closed doors. You don't know anyone. And... And it takes a certain person to like push back on the rules. Like I could have lost my job for driving him in my car. I could have lost my job for taking him to my family for Christmas. And to me, there are times when it's totally fine to bend the rules. I agree with you. And especially if it's in the betterment of a child. Yeah. I agree. I'm willing to do it. I agree. All the regulation on that, you know, it could have been a teacher who had bad intentions for a kid, you know? Could have. So I understand why the rules are there. Yes, fully. But but my God, what a great story. Yeah. Bless his heart. Absolutely. Absolutely. They, you know, their kids are, it's amazing how when you, I'm 53. So at 53, I still deal with things that happen in that time period. Yeah. Like when you're in school. Yeah. Um, Any kind of trauma that happens when you're young it imprints on you so strongly that something even more traumatic once you're a fully uh, grown adult doesn't affect you right? like that. Right. Right? So as parents and teachers and um, adults in young people's lives, I think it's really important to remember how impressive that time is for them and to treat it with so much reverence and respect. You mm-hmm. know, I've been running a Girl Scout troop, can't believe it now, for 13 years. You still do? I still do, Oh, that's yeah. awesome. I still do. That's so yeah, cool. Two more years left. Um, but I, all the time, we're always, my other two leaders and I are always like, how do we present this information? Or how do we, how do we get them to talk about, because all of them now are in high school. Yeah. So we've had them since kindergarten. We have, I have one, age group is sophomore in college. Mm-hmm. And then we have seniors, juniors, and sophomores. That was my troop was a multi-level troop. Nice. So we've been through like from kindergarten to now we've been together. So there's, you know, in middle school, we're like, we got to start talking about uh, interpersonal dynamics and like drama between girls. But how do we present that to affect change and not have any negative impact on them, right? Yeah. To get them to maybe look at a negative situation differently or maybe find accountability in something they may not think they have accountability in. Because when you're in middle school and high school, you're so self-absorbed. Absolutely. But of course, everything you do affects someone else, uh-huh. positively or negatively. How do we do that? We spent so much time talking about each phase of these young ladies as we've gone through. And I think it's a lot of work. It's a lot of effort. I can't imagine having, you know, seven periods a day, five days a week where you had to do that. I do it every other weekend for an hour and a half. (laughs) Well, see, that's why I taught, that's why I taught elementary school Uh because every hour was different. If I had to do the same every day and had a hundred something kids in one day, I don't, I think I'd lose it. Right. But doing the same, 
you know, the same group of kids, building those relationships right. even deeper, you know, with their families too. That's why, that's why I was able to keep saying and keep doing it. Right. But it, just like you said, like these programs, like Girl Scouts and Girls on the Run and Girls Who Code and all the ones for boys as well are so important because there's so much about school mm -hmm. that you can't, it's not in the curriculum. Mm -hmm. There's no lesson on how to be a good person. No. How to deal with conflict, how to accept responsibility and move forward. Like, no. those, you know, those things need to be implemented too. And thank God there's those programs totally. and people who do it. Some people who do it. You know, I'm not saying the Girl Scouts gives us a lot of that. Oh, yeah? They don't. No. I That's mean, That's you putting your spin on it. Yeah. There's okay, like, cool. you can do a STEM badge. And I'm like, they're already doing STEM in school. You can do, you know, um, social media, like online, uh, cyber world badge. And I'm like, they're already doing that. Which ones do you choose to do? We make up our own. <laughs> Hell yeah. Hell yeah. We go, hmm, where's the sewing badge? Like, Hell doesn't yeah. Doesn't everybody need to know how to sew on a button? There's not home ec anymore in school. There's no mm -hmm. home ec. So I was like, we did one badge where we taught them how to iron, how to set a table, how to write a proper thank you note. This was like fifth grade. And, um, how to how to do laundry? How to how write to a proper wash, thank you how note to write. is so important, isn't it? So important. Do you know how many times if you've done something nice for somebody too, and just like not even hearing the word thank you back can be so degrading? Yeah, it's insane. Yeah. I love that you did that. Yeah, we taught them all how to write a proper proper thank you note. Um, what else do we teach them? Like four different ways to fold a napkin. Love like it. if you have a dinner party. I love it. I love it. I love and it. And all of them were like, no one's ever shown me this. I was like, oh, girls, I waited tables for eight years. <laughs> Move aside. I've got the orchid. I've got the swan. I got it all in my back pocket, baby. We're going to fold some napkins. They loved it. How to plan and throw a dinner party. This all sounds very like 1950s housewife. But at the same time, there's a lot of 1950s housewife that's actually necessary for adulting. Yeah. Right? You need to know how to iron a collared shirt. I'm right. sorry. You do. And how to throw a dinner party is not call your party planner. Exactly. <laughs> like, how do you plan it? What's the budget? What's the theme? What are you cooking? How do you budget. shop for it? Budgeting. We taught that too. Kids have no sense of concept no sense for a dollar. No. At Oh, no. it's unbelievable. Especially Isn't when it? you tell them too that like your money is not really all yours. Yeah. You know, and then they're like flabbergasted. Oh, like, yeah. Oh, we did a whole badge. How do you get roads? How do you get schools? Exactly. <laughs> you know we I mean? did a whole badge where we made it up ourselves. We just did a podcast about it because it was, I, we thought it was really fantastic. The girls hated it because uh -huh. it made adulting really scary. Oh, yeah, yeah, and yeah. And my, our intention was to make it just eyes wide open. Like, these are taxes. This is what your taxes pay for. This is how you pay your taxes. This is how it comes out of your paycheck. This is what a gasoline tax is. This is what sales tax is. This is what it pays for. And they all were like, you mean of the dollar, I only get like 60 cents? <laughs> and you're like, for some people, yeah. They're like, well, I don't even want to make the dollar. Right. And you're like, but that's that's life. You need, these are skills you need. Right. Now, you don't, now tell them they could be a teacher and only have 32 of those dollars for a whole year. <laughs> no, I can't, I can't with the teachers. It's, it's, I mean, just running a Girl Scout troop, you go, they should make $1 million a year. Yeah. I mean, a teacher should make a million dollars a year. I think a lot of parents realize that in the pandemic too. I would hope so. Yeah. Because I taught eighth grade government and it sucked. I you did? Well, no, I didn't in oh. the pandemic. Oh, 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 my, oh, oh to them, grader. to them. Yeah, my eighth, my dyslexic eighth grader right. and everything on a Zoom. 
forget it. It was a disaster. Oh, yeah. And her history teacher was like, read 32 pages in this chapter and answer 11 questions. And I was like, she's dead. She's never going to do it. We're not going to make it out of eighth grade. No way. There's no way my child is reading 32 pages of a textbook about the Declaration of Independence and then answering 11 questions. No, no. Kill me. So she and I went through her textbook together and I was like, the good news is we can have a lot of conversations about the U.S. government (laughs) because we learned it together. There you go. The bad news is we both almost died. Like we both almost killed each other. Oh, absolutely. It was, there was, there was, there was blood. Like, so I, awful. in the pandemic, I lost all my tour dates and I was just sitting farting around at home. I went back and there was a, cause teachers were leaving, especially older teachers were yeah. like the writing's on the wall. I'm yeah. done. Yeah. So positions were open. Right. So I took a kindergarten position across the street from my house. Amazing. And then the year started teaching virtual and ended with me being in person with all these kids. Mm-hmm. And five-year-olds don't well, even know how to use a computer. <laughs> and overnight, we're going to say school is only on the computer. It was all we would have is I would turn on and it would just be like, this is my cat. Look at look at my cat. Ah, ah. Just like, just pure chaos. And here I am singing into my computer to try to like keep them their attention. Yeah. But it was really cool. because I I love a challenge. I love getting creative too. So I was like, I got to keep these kids interested just like if they were in person. So I used my dog to teach math and we were doing subtraction. So I'd hold three in my treat in three treats in my hand. And I was like, okay, I'm going to give Mac one. How many think are going to be left? And then I would throw him one. And then how many are in my hand still? And they would just love watching him eat. So I was like, I got him with the dog. So my dog was in every like lesson that I was doing. It was just, what are you going to do? You know? So creative. You had to. Right. If if I didn't, then they would have just been running around, leaving, sleeping. It's like herding cats. Oh. Forget it. Yeah. Yeah. So then, so you were doing stand up before the pandemic mm-hmm. and then obviously after. But how long have you been doing it before? Before the pandemic. Mm-hmm. So I've been doing 12 years now. So at that time, it was probably like, I was probably at my 10 year mark, just under my 10 year mark. Okay. Yeah. Do you love it? Stand up? Yeah. I'm obsessed. Obsessed. It's who's unbelievable. Your, okay. Who's your favorite comic that's not you? So this is a loaded question. Okay. Why? Well, Okay, name your top three. Is that um, less loaded? There's no, no, that's not. That's, <laughs> that's totally fine. My top three, I would say, and I pull a lot of inspiration from these people as well. Kathleen Madigan is probably one of my top. She's awesome. Um, one of the things that I aspire from her the most is her ability to just be on stage for an hour and you feel like you're across the bar from a friend drinking and you're just absorbing all their stories and you, you're like, you wrote this? Like, this is written. Mm-hmm. And it's that. Mm-hmm. Um, I fell in love with stand up because of Ellen DeGeneres. I would quote mm-hmm. her stuff. And then I was on the show a couple of times, which is like the most surreal thing that's ever happened. And then um, Beth Stellings showed me so much kindness when she had no need to. And I just respect uh, who she is as a person and a comic. And I strive to have the same relationship in the industry that she does with everybody. That's awesome. Yeah, for sure. And one other thing that happened too that I think about all the time is I went to Bert's show here in LA before the pandemic and I was with my managers and we were backstage and I was with Judy. Yeah. And Judy was 
we were just talking in a corner. And as soon as the show was done, Bert beelined it to me because he didn't know who I was and said, Bert Kreischer, nice to meet you. And I was like, this is what like every comic needs to be doing. Everybody in this room, he's making feel like he knows them. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I've never met this person. And I was like, I want people to feel like that around me when I get done doing shows too. Mm. And I've just, I've never forgotten that. Aww. He probably doesn't know who the hell I am at all. But That's I was just like, that was, that was a cool moment for me. Like as I'm coming up. That's nice. It was cool. Bert's a good guy. You were there too. You were eating pizza in the corner. I was. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what show was this? Uh it was in LA. It was at, because I was actually doing, uh, a sh I was showcasing at Dynasty Typewriter and it was the weekend that I got signed with my agencies. Nice. And uh, it was like just a really big weekend for me. Where was it then? What's a big... Was in it LA? Was it at the Greek? It might have been. That would have been two years ago? No, it was no, longer ago No, it was pre-Pandy Wandy. So it was at least Ooh. 2018. Something like that. The Ace Hotel? Yeah. That's where it was? Yes. The Ace Hotel. That nice. was a big show. That was a that great was one. There was a lot of people there. It was a good one, yeah. Yeah. It was a great one. It was, it was like so cool to see. Such so a great to show, too. That was a good one for you to see. It was great. It was he fun. It was it. so fun. Yeah. It was so fun. And I remember being like, everybody was just in good spirits, good vibes. And I was like, that's what I want. That's what I want to surround myself with. Like, that's what I want to, everyone to feel like. I want it to feel like a good experience, good people around us. Everyone's welcome. It was yeah, inclusive. Totally. It was cool. It was really cool. That's good. Inclusive is the word uh, we strive for all the time. Yeah. Yeah. So if you felt included, that's the key. A million. I don't want anybody ever to feel not included. Yeah. Excluded is different than not included. You Absolutely. Know what I mean? Absolutely. The vibe here, you should feel like you're at our house, hanging out with us at our house. For sure. Right? It was, it was unbelievable. Good. Was good. Unbelievable. Well, good. Who do you like besides your husband? <laughs> well, my husband is number one. Um, I I don't know. I have a lot of favorites. David Tell is my all-time favorite. Unbelievable. I mean. Unbelievable. He's my all-time favorite. Bernie Mac is probably my other all-time favorite. Yeah. Cannot believe he's dead. It's so upsetting that he did not get to do more stand-up. I, I have watched The Kings of Comedy, I'm not joking, probably 15 times. Really? Every time it's on, I stop and watch it. it Bernie Mac's half hour, to me, in that special is is absolutely perfect. Nice. And when I help Bert with his specials, I draw from the timing of that special, from uh, how he laid out the jokes, how he drove the the energy, how Bernie Mac drove energy in that special. I draw from that all the time when I'm yeah. talking to Bert about his about his stand up. My fiance does the same thing with me. Da really? Oh yeah, oh yeah. He'll he'll give me very critical, well thought out notes. Yeah. It took us a while to get there because at first I was kind of like. But then when I started realizing, oh, these are, this is a keen eye. Right. Love it. It's the best. I've, I've been doing that with Bert from the very beginning, which also wasn't his favorite thing either in the very beginning. But I was like, you know what? It, if you're honest with somebody, then, then they, if you're always honest, then they have, they, they trust you more. This sounds stupid, but he gave someone an example the other day. We were shooting a special in Philly. And um, his first, <laughs> for, we always film at least two sets. Yeah. The first set, he did not do well. He was really clunky and he was kind of like hesitating and he was stumbling over his words a little bit. 
And if nobody had ever seen that before, they would have thought it was fine. But I'd seen it for a month, like ad nauseum. And I was like, not your best deal. That's not, you can do so much better than that. So after stage, he came back, the producer was like, we got it. We got one in the can. We got it. And he goes, Leanne, what do you think? I was like, ooh, dude, not your best look. I love that. This and this and this and this. I had a whole page of notes. I was like, you missed this word. You dropped this phrase. What happened to this piece? And I gave him all the pieces that were missing. Your rhythm was not, you just weren't relaxed. You weren't comfortable. But we had spent years talking like that. So when he shot the second one that night, it was absolutely perfect. Nice. And so when he got off stage, I was like, that was it. You got it. It's perfect. That's so my Morgan went, too. Okay. Then I know I know that that what she intended was for that to happen. Yeah. And that was the first set of notes was not about tearing him down. It was about getting him to the second one. Yeah. But if we hadn't done that, our whole relationship, I think from the outside, it looks like I'm a real bitch, right? Where I'm just like, oh, dude, you had mustard on your pants. I mean, nothing could have gone worse than this thing, but. Oh my God, Leanne, Morgan is my Leanne. Oh uh, yeah? For sure. I love it. Now, okay, let me ask you this. How long had you guys been dating and married before his standup was like really flunk, like going off? Did you know him as not a stand-up comic? No, I knew okay. him as a stand-up comic. Okay. But I knew him, he was really, uh, he was middling. Yeah, so okay, yeah, yeah. He was middling in clubs for people like Jay Moore or Louis C.K. Or So he was still, he was just starting to middle when we started dating. Mm -hmm. So while we were dating, he was middling. And then after uh, we had our first daughter, we'd been together about a year and a half, he... Uh, called Aaron at the improv and was like, I will take any gig anywhere, no matter what. And that's when his club date started building and he started building into a headline. Got it, got it. So we'd been together like a year and a half, but he started stand-up before I met him. We met here in LA. Um, I'm from Georgia. He's from Tampa. I moved to New York and then here, and he he went right after me. Like as soon as I had moved, he landed in New York and then ended up here. Well, my Morgan Southern too. Is he where he from? North Carolina. Oh, they're great folks. Oh, for there sure. North Carolina. So this is the funny thing too. Morgan only he knows me as a comic. He doesn't know me as not a comic. Um, but he watched my career go from this is something that I love and would wish that it would turn into something to holy shit. I'm going to quit my job. Right. And and now it is what it is now. Right. And that was a true test of relationship, uh -huh. which was amazing. Uh -huh. It was a true test on me and my career mm -hmm. and understanding that this industry can be shady as hell mm -hmm. and he is the person who's going to sell it to me straight after a set. God, that was when you're on fire. When you have someone who supports you like that on and off stage. Yeah. He he makes me a better comic for sure. Yeah, it's invaluable, I think. Oh, absolutely. Because no matter what, and you know, how does it make you feel to have a ride or die? Uh, I don't know what I would be doing without it. Right? I, I don't know that I would be able to write the way I write and, and do the way that I do. Well, well, I'm on the road every weekend, right? Mm. Working very, very hard. I get so intensely homesick and I will call him and be like, I just need to be home. Like, I just need to be with you. And he will be like, I'm fine. The house is fine. The dog is fine. Wedding planning is fine. Everything's fine. You are living this dream that not a lot of people get to do. Mm -hmm. You're working really hard right now. Keep going. Yeah. We're good. Yeah. And I'm like, how did I get this? <laughs> how did I get this? And it's, uh, it's unbelievable.
That's unbelievable. awesome. But because of that that deep dynamic that we have too, his notes on my writing are in he build it builds me up when you're right. Other people listening would be like, he's cutting him down. Mm-hmm. But he'll say to me, he's like, this one's a little bit lazy. I think you go deeper on this. That's I would love I you to go deeper on this. Yeah. <laughs> he said to me, this is so crazy. I'm writing a lot. When we're off camera, I'll tell you something that I'm writing right now. But I'm writing a lot about something that's very, very personal in what we're doing. And he didn't want me to do it. And I wrote a little bit about it. And then he was coming to the first show to see it. Mm-hmm. And I had been writing it for five months. And I was fully ready that if he did not want this on stage, I was going to put my tail between the legs and say, I'll find something else to write about. If you don't want it out there, we won't. He came backstage and he just looks at me. He goes, it's good. And I was like, excuse me? He's like, mm, it's really good. He's like, you have so much room to tighten it up, make it stronger, add more jokes within this, these stories, but it's really good. And he's like, keep going. I was like, oh my God. I'm like, that's my person. That's your person. This is it. He's definitely your Leanne. Oh. Bert did that to me a bunch. In the very beginning, he was writing about sex. Yeah. Our sex. And I was like, okay, I have two rules. Actually, kind of three. <laughs> One is... <laughs> You can't make me look bad. That's Morgan's rule. Number two, in that you can't make me look bad, you also can't make me unlikable. Uh huh. And number three, you got to make me laugh. So if you're going to talk about me farting on your chin, it better be fucking funny, right? <laughs> That's in his special. Oh my so God, I want you and Morgan to meet so bad. Yeah. I don't know that he's ever been able to relate to a person like he will be with exactly. you. Exactly. Yeah. Well, he should come next time. We should do one together. Oh, yeah. Done for um, sure. But, uh, but yeah, that that was the thing. Like, this, he wrote this joke about me farting on his chin and I was like, I'm gonna, yeah, it's funny. It's really funny. And I, this is not the only couple on the planet that this has happened to. Right. So it's relatable and okay, well, I can go there with you because it's funny. That's and I don't thing. look bad and I don't look stupid and I don't look mean. That's his thing too. That's it, yeah. He, uh, it's hard to get him to laugh on when I'm on stage. Yeah. Because he says, I know you so well, I know kind of where you're going to go with something. Yeah. So my rule is when I'm on stage, especially if it's in a theater, he has to sit somewhere where I can't see him. Right. Sometimes that doesn't always work because right. I know the shape of his head and I can pick him out <laughs> anywhere. <laughs> Leanne, when I can get this guy laughing... When I'm on stage, I'm like, oh, you're on fucking fire, man. Let's go. Because when I get him laughing, I'm like, that joke, that's the one. This special is going to name after whatever I just made him laugh about. Exactly. Because it's just like, oh, that means more than anyone laughing. I get the whole crowd laughing. And if he's not, I'll try even harder. Right. Where'd you meet him? Tinder. No way. Tinder. I was teaching in Michigan and working on my master's in education. And he was working on his MBA at U of M. University of Michigan. And uh, we had our our Tinder set real far apart, max distance. And we matched. And then we went ice fishing. No, as you do. As we do. Yeah. We're big fishermen. Are you? Big time. Big, That's awesome. We go on like multiple fishing trips all over the world, like at least twice a year. That's amazing. That's us. That's us. Straight passing. <laughs> 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 but, um, and then we met, we went ice fishing and we just kind of bloomed and grew and did it. And that's how we met. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. Tender. It actually works for some people, right? It I did. So many single people complain about online dating. But then I hear 
every once in a while, someone will come up and it's like, it's the way they did it. Yeah. And it worked. It. I mean, I, I wouldn't have met him if it, it wasn't for that. Yeah, how could you? You have? know, at all, right. at all. And also it was like Michigan, like the dating pool, the gay dating pool was like, right. All right. So can I ask you about gay yeah. stuff? Okay. It's Open book, Leanne, let's go. Okay, so just so you know, my parents divorced when I was seven, mm-hmm. 1977. Yeah. And my mom moved to Atlanta from a real small town in, in Georgia and moved us into the gay community. So my mother was not gay. In Atlanta? In Atlanta. It was all gay men because she thought the safest place for a seven-year-old girl would be in a neighborhood full of gay men. I love this. So I grew up with gay, a lot of gay men. So to me, gay meant actually nothing. It just meant you're a couple. I just like my dad and his girlfriend were a couple. There was no, I didn't under really, I didn't really understand that people had problems with it until in I was- In Georgia. In Georgia, because I was in this little bubble of yeah. the community and nobody was out in my dad's hometown. I'm sure there were gay people, but no one would have ever gone out in this deep South Southern Baptist small town mm-hmm. until I got like into so high school. So you go out to the outhouse after midnight. Uh, I'm telling you, but I <laughs> didn't know nothing about that because I wasn't in, you know what I mean? So I, I came from like these two bubbles where one where this was just normal and one where it didn't exist. Mm-hmm. So I was pretty old before I figured out <laughs> that What's it was hard to be on. gay. Yeah, yeah. It was, yeah, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. So- I wanted to tell you that so you understood me a little bit in that in the capacity of of your life experience, right? For sure. Um, yeah, it was pretty freaking fabulous to grow up with all gay men. What's the name of that neighborhood? Ansley Park. Ansley Park, Georgia. And Ansley Park back in the seventies had really wealthy old money South mm-hmm. or gay men. Well, yeah. So that it was right. all in the same little community. Now we lived in like a duplex and a lot of the gay men lived in the duplex, like a small home. And then the rest of Ansley was like these beautiful, big Southern houses that had people who'd lived there since they were, you know, they're a hundred years old and been there forever. The country club was in Ansley also, I okay. believe if I remember that right. Um, but it's real, it's Midtown now, it's Midtown Atlanta. Yeah. Uh, close to Piedmont Park. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this whole little, the whole block was um, fabulous. Fabulous. <laughs> Constant babysitters because I was a latchkey kid. Yeah, same. Um, unfortunately, they all passed away in the AIDS I epidemic. was going to say, all this was right around the time. Yeah, all of them. Every single one. All of them are gone. Yeah, my mom was uh, a nurse by profession, has worked as various different uh, nursing positions. And she tells me about, you know, it the 80s horrible. and taking care of men in the AIDS wards and just losing everybody. It was horrible. Yeah. Horrible. They all passed away. The very last wa- friend of my mom's passed away when I was probably, I don't know, maybe 17 or 18. Wow. So I know that he was the last one. He did her hair for a wedding, her own wedding. And he was like, this is the last time I'm going to see you. I'm going to go to California. She was like, why are you going to California? And he just went, I'm going to California. And I asked her later and she said, I think he's going to, to die he doesn't want to die in Georgia where nobody was so stigmatized and terrible. Mm. We know her from again. So, so stupid. Wild. It's the stupidest thing on the planet. Wild. Why? So well, stupid. you know, there's a lot of stigma too around like teachers and, and, and being gay. I had a, some really interesting encounters with parents. Did you really? Yeah. There's a huge, there's a huge stigma with any sort of person who's, 
unconventionally heterosexual being a teacher. There's just this weird stigma of pedophilia. You're going to see it in the comments section, Leanne. Right? Absolutely. And it is unreal to me because, first of all, we're actually dedicating our lives to take care and of children for peasant scraps of a paycheck. <laughs> right. Uh, I think anybody who has the heart to do be a teacher, there should be zero stigma around that right. too, especially if they're in it for the right reasons. But yeah, I had to conquer that and come over that and, and prove my worth that I'm here for the kids and to make their lives better. Mm-hmm. But there's some bullshit. I can't that'll imagine. never that'll never leave. It's so wild. Stupid. Like one I had a one little boy who Wanted to sing Let It Go for the talent show because I was the talent show director. Of course. That is shocking. I call it the talent list show. (laughs) And he wanted to sing Let It Go. I didn't even think about it. I was like, sure, whatever. You want to sing a song? This is nothing more than a song to me. And the mom went on some tirade on Facebook. His mom or another mom? His mom. With on Facebook, then with the school board, with my principal, that I was attempting to convert him into being a, a gay person. I'm like, bitch, he's singing Idina Menzel. He's also seven. I, I'm sorry, what? Like, I didn't sign him up for a labiaplasty. What are you right? talking about? And like, why put that in the universe for him? For him. Why put that in his universe at all? What is the point of that? Unreal. And that was, I was probably two years into teaching when that happened. And that was a wake up call. That's that was a terrible. wake up call that like, yeah, that no matter how hard you try, people are going to be against you. But well, for that, Karen, I apologize. For real though. That's terrible. For, I apologize for him. Because I'm a kid. It's like, you're going to, you're going to be buddy. with some shit. Right. But my whole thing too is like, I was like, I hope, I'm just going to be myself. I'm going to be real cool with the kids. I'm going to be real cool with the parents and the families. Be myself. I there, For me, there was no reason for me to be like, hi, boys and girls. I'm a gay person. <laughs> do you know what gay means? <laughs> There's absolutely no reason to do that ever, ever. For, they they like you. We have a wonderful relationship. So if you Great. have to do that, then I should say, hi, boys and girls. I'm a heterosexual. <laughs> do you know what that means? You know what that means? <laughs> At five, I reckon you do. You know, come on. That's so stupid. So, but because of that, my goal was always one day they will wake up and realize that I was gay. Now they're going to find me, right? Yeah, yeah. And there, I hope that these kids will be like, holy shit. My favorite teacher was. was gay and I had no problem with him. And I know he cared about me because he did this, this, and this for me. And because of that, I have a positive outlook and rainbow people. Totally. Whatever. I don't give a fuck. But it, people literally think that teachers are sitting. And let's be real. Some are. But people think that you're just sitting there being like, okay, look at these two same-sex Barbies. And now they're going to scissor. Like, it's not, <laughs> it's not happening for the majority of what's going on, you know? know. But uh, the stigma is real. It's weird. And people got to change. I guess, yeah, they do have to change. The pers- What's so really crazy to me, as I would say, statistically speaking, and I don't know, I'm just talking out of my ass. So Talk out that ass, Talking girl. out of my ass. But statistically speaking, I would imagine there are more hetero-inappropriate relationships, student-teacher, than there are homosexual. Yeah. I mean, there's got to be, you know, the coach that sleeps with the cheerleader, sure. the, the sexy female chemistry teacher that sleeps with the whoever. Oh, yeah. You know, 
And that statistically be speaking, more. too, if I, I don't know the numbers, but if we looked it up, how many gay people are actually teachers compared to straight people? Like, and then let's look at that. There are problems across the board with any profession, any walk of life, no matter what it is. Yes. And we're honing in on not only a profession, but a subset of people within a profession and zeroing in on it. I think we all need to get our shit together. Right? Totally. Wow. So stupid. So did you, uh, this is going to, I'm going to ask the ignorant questions. Part of what I like about my podcast is that um, I think people have ignorant questions they're scared to ask. Cool. So if it's okay with you, if there's anything you want to edit out, we will. For sure. Um, When did you know you were gay? Conception. So you... (laughs) (laughs) Conception. I didn't have an umbilical cord. I had a boa. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I should write that down. You should write that down. That's very good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so did when do you remember having awareness of sexuality? Liter- uh, my the first. You watch Hook with Dustin Hoffman and Robin I've Williams. I've never watched that. Now, sorry. Seriously? No, I haven't. Not, no. But you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I do. Dustin Hoffman in Hook made me feel some type of way. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. In the wig and oh, everything? Oh, I was like, I got daddy issues uh, for Hook, baby. <laughs> and I was like, something's going on. And then the next one was Billy the Blue Ranger from Power Rangers. And I was like, fuck, I like boys a lot. That's awesome. I was a little, 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 little kid. Yeah. And I was just like, fuck, I like boys. And then I didn't know what that meant. Yeah. But I knew I was like, I was like, I can hang with girls, but I f- really like boys. Mm-hmm. And then I heard the word gay for the first time on the playground in about third or fourth grade in a bad way. Oh, Somebody used it in a negative sense. And I also was able to connect that this word means what I feel and it's bad. Uh-huh. And I was like, like a reclusive little troll oh. from then on oh. for a little while. Really? Really trying to cover that shit up for a long, long time, the best I could, which was not well. So then I have a lot of questions. Let's go. Um, so then you tried to cover it up from your peer group? From anybody from and everybody. everybody. Do yeah. you think your parents had an inkling? For sure. Okay. Absolutely. So they knew you had that a good sense you were, you yeah. were gay when you were younger. Uh-huh. And then when you tried to kind of uh, hide it. Yeah. Did they see that, your parents? Did uh, they see that you were hiding it or did they think anything about it? Yeah, I think that they... If I never would have like been fine with my own truth and I never would have like made the steps to come out, I think that my family may have been okay with a don't ask, don't tell situation. Gotcha. Right. But I just intrinsically who I am was not going to allow that path to be carved. Right. I can see that. Yeah. You seem to be really comfortable in who you are. I I very, very much am. I I appreciate you saying that. As a human being. Yep. Because at the end of the day, that's all we are. Yeah. Anyway. I feel like I figured out from an early age who I am, who I'm not, who I desire to be. You're lucky. I am. I very much am. I very much am. And I, hey, I'm a human. I know I got learning and growing to do still for the rest of my life. But having that happen early kind of helped me in the development that. How early do you think that was? Wife of the Party is sponsored by EarthBreeze. I'm so excited about this new sponsor because it always has bothered me that you, I just don't like waste very much. So I always wonder what happens when you use the laundry pods and what happens to the plastic. It just disintegrates, but... 
But I don't know. It's, you're still getting it in like a plastic jug. So as much as it's nice, you still have this plastic jug. But Earth Breeze are these little laundry sheets and they come in a cardboard container. And so it makes me feel so much better about laundry detergent. Uh, have you ever wondered why laundry detergent comes in a massive plastic jug? They're heavy, they're messy, they're hard to store. I don't even store my stuff in it. I dump it into something else. Worst of all, 91% of the plastic doesn't get recycled. It leaves laundry jugs to sit in landfills for centuries to come. Personally, I wanted to ditch that jug and I found the solution. It's Earth Breeze. Earth Breeze kind of looks like a, a dryer sheet, but I have a front-loading washer, so I just take my little Earth Breeze laundry sheet and I kind of fold it in half and I put it in the cup where the liquid laundry detergent should go. And it does such a good job. I mean, I, it's just as good as any other laundry detergent I've ever tried. It's great. I love it. It is a pre-measured liquidless laundry detergent sheet. It dissolves in all wash cycles, hot or cold. There's no measuring, no mess, and no heavy lifting. It's not in a jug. It's literally in like a cardboard sleeve. It's so cool. Most importantly, I get a powerful clean. Earth Breeze is tough on stains, fights odors, and my clothes come out clean every time. But this is what really convinced me. With every purchase, Earth Breeze donates 10 loads of detergent to a charitable cause of my choice, uh, which I think is amazing. Over 100 million loads have been donated. Wow. Now, every time I do laundry, I get a warm and fuzzy feeling. Join over 2 million Americans making a difference with Earth Breeze. If you're still not convinced, they offer a 100% satisfaction guarantee. If you don't like it, you get a full refund. No questions asked and no return necessary. Trust me, there's no reason not to switch. Right now, my listeners can subscribe to EarthBreeze and save 40%. Go to earthbreeze.com slash wife to get started. That's earthbreeze.com slash wife for 40% off. earthbreeze.com slash wife. Wife the Party is sponsored by Every Plate. Uh, you know how I love meal kit services. I love them. I've been using them for years. I was just out of town for a week for work, and Isla and Rachel from Birdie Boy uh, made all their meals with a, these wonderful meal kits. Uh, and Isla had so much fun doing it. She's learning how to cook, and she's eating tasty, great meals. And uh, I love that. It's makes It makes planning and making dinner so much easier. Making resolutions for 2024, get every plate and take back your time and fewer trips to the grocery store and meals ready in six simple steps. Save even more time with quick and easy recipes, including easy cleanup options and ready in 30 minutes or less. They plan the meals and deliver pre-portioned ingredients right to your door so you can spend less time meal prepping and more time reaching your New Year's goals. I love that you can just go to the fridge, open the door, pull out the ingredients and the recipe card and have a tasty meal in minutes. It's just the easiest lift of my day and I really genuinely love every plate. Looking to budget your food expenses in the new year? Save big and eat great with America's Best Value Meal Kit. Their meals are cheaper than your average fast casual meal, so ditch the takeout to save money while still enjoying fresh, satisfying meals. They're the easiest way to eat affordably. Put the money you save toward making 2024 plans. Make the sustainable choice this January. Every plate offsets 100% of their delivery emissions and their meals have a 31% lower carbon footprint on average than supermarket meals of the same portion. Plus, nearly all packaging materials are curbside recyclable in most areas in the U.S. 
Get a meal for $1.49 plus $1 steaks for life by going to everyplate.com slash podcast and entering code 49WIFE. Subscription must be active to qualify and redeem the $1 steak. Get started with every plate for just $1.49 per meal plus $1 steaks for life by going to everyplate.com slash podcast and entering code 49WIFE. Subscription must be active to qualify and redeem $1 steak. Having that happen early kind of helped me in the development that. How early do you think that was? God, I think it was survival of the fittest from an, from early on, and like being bullied for these things that you can't help about yourself, these mannerisms, these interests, these uh, quirks, and then teaching yourself how to like code switch into like not presenting that in certain environments to remain. And you're so young and you have school to worry about and your family and everything is, it's wild. It's exhausting. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think it's trauma. <laughs> well, it is trauma, like but the trauma, trauma came from society sort and of. From, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not from, it says sound like from your parents. Right. I remember seeing too, I told you Ellen was one of, yeah. like an icon too. I remember seeing the magazine of her in the, in the shelves of the grocery store. And it was just her picture in a squat. And it said, I'm gay. And I remember seeing a man at the grocery store standing in front of all these magazines and flipping them backwards. <gasps> Are you kidding? And kind of putting it in in my head about like, again, this isn't, this isn't good. This is bad. This is like not something you want. Yeah. It's so crazy. I got, having the chance to thank her for that was surreal. I can't imagine that what that surreal. must have felt like. I mean, I think Ellen's an amazing comic. Yeah. I don't have that additional layer to what she would mean to me. Right, so right. I can't imagine that must have been really surreal. Yeah, that was surreal for sure. And, but but, but that, that's why, God, you know, I live in Seattle too. So it's sometimes it's this, this like neo-leftist mindset. Yes. But when I think back about that moment and I think about how like that visibility mattered to somebody who had no connection to the person at all. That's why I'm like, yeah, I'm going to talk about my life on stage and like mm-hmm. talk about being gay, talk about being a gay teacher, talk about being a, a gay husband because like somebody's watching this and they're like, I, if he can do it, me and my small closed minded town can have that life. That's exactly right. Yeah. It, all those things you talk Is about. What kind of podcast are you running over here? Like, yeah, <laughs> Jesus Christ, what's well, coming out of me? Someone here did not do his homework. Wait, this Leanne, is what my podcast is, is about. It is refreshing coming on here and just talking like as a real person. Well, you know, yeah. comics we go and it's like two comics. No, I'm not interested in that. You I can do that everywhere it. else. I'm married to a this. comic. I don't need a I I love comic this. all day long. I love this. But I'd rather talk to you about who you are because who you are informs your comedy, obviously, but who you are is inspiring to other people, each comic or each person. I don't even look at, I don't even look at you really, sorry, as a comic. I look at you as a person. I love that. With a really interesting story that has a a fabulous job. Just like my financial, our business manager comes in and I talk to him about money because he is a really interesting person and has a lot of information that, uh, will help people. So I started my podcast because I like to learn and I like to learn from other people. I love stories and I'm just fascinated by especially people who are happy and successful, not 
meaning they have a lot of money, but successful in they perhaps have a great marriage or they really enjoy their job or they have great kids or great friendships. To me, that's what success is. So if my friends are here and we're having a good conversation about something in the realm of success in life in that way, then I hope someone hearing can go, oh, I do that already. Maybe I can value that differently. Or, oh, I'm missing that. Maybe I could go look for that, right? Oh, yeah. So what I wanted to do when I started my podcast was create, I want everyone listening to feel like they're my friend and that we're having a conversation amongst friends. And where I learn the most from life at this age is from my friends. Yeah. Because I have such quality people around me. So when I talk to a a person here, then that's what I want to happen is a quality conversation. So someone listening can can go, aha, hadn't thought about that for myself and be hopefully entertained to an extent. But my, I'm not, I don't look at myself as an entertainer at all. I look at myself as um, someone who has something to say. And from my background, since I don't think you know much about me, but I had a, a lot of trauma in childhood and in young adulthood that I'm very open about. And I've been in a lot of therapy. And so for me to share and sharing with other people, and we share back and forth, people get to learn from that too. Yeah. You know, um, trauma looks differently to everybody and everybody has a little bit of trauma. Even if you're just in a car accident, if your life was perfect and you got rear-ended, that's traumatic for you. So a lot of these things can be related to, but I don't know. I love just, I just love finding out how people got to be where they are today because nobody's path is the same. Everybody's path is interesting. Even if on paper it's not, it totally is. Yeah. Every path is completely fascinating to me. Damn, I love that. Uh, It's so fascinating to hear what you did to get to this. Anybody can find your Mm stand-up. Anybody can go see you at a live show. Um, But not everybody, I think, can understand what we're talking about on the playground from you specifically. Yeah. Or how that colored all that you're doing now, you know? And I think talking about your experience as a gay man is vital. Just like Bert talking about me farting on his chin. Vital. Vital. (laughs) Because it's vital. It's all vital because we are all that. I love it. You know? I respect it. It's well, thank you. Yeah, that's that's cool. Because it's, you know, a lot of times I'm on people's podcasts, like big, big, big podcasts, and and we're just touching the surface level. It's like this this platform is so big and like the internet is bigger than anybody ever could have thought too. And it's like, wait, every once in a while, we got to put some important stuff out there. But it's there. boring to just try. It's boring to just that. talk about the same shit with every person. This is fun. It's, you don't do that. That's I don't listen to that. It yeah. doesn't interest me. Uh-uh. I don't care about that shit. Uh-uh. What, what's your handbag and what are you wearing? I bought this outfit on Amazon for forty dollars. Hell yeah, you did. I mean, I did. I love that. I did. It's from Amazon. It's <laughs> the most comfortable thing ever. Shirt. Uh, exactly. It's, uh, it's not my game. It's, I stole these shoes from my daughter because she wouldn't wear them. So I was like, if you're not wearing them, I'm taking them. She was like, they're too white. Everything's got to be black. I was like, then a Mama's got a new pair of shoes. Thank oh my god. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Um, I'm really interested in in journeys, right? You had a powerful journey that you went through uh, your boa umbilical cord 
all the way through to teaching and all your experiences in teaching has informed your comedy. Yeah. Even the tough parts of hiding yourself. Yeah. You know, when you pull a rubber band back, when you let it go, it snaps pretty hard. So in that hiding, once you discover, when you let go, then you get to be all yourself. Yeah. So if anybody listening is hiding themselves and hiding and hiding and hiding, once you finally let go, then... The world is your oyster. Oh yeah, right. And that's a that in that analogy works so often with so many different things too. My mom always instilled with me too, like the bigger the reward, the bigger the risk, the bigger the reward. And that comes with coming out. That comes with being vulnerable on stage. That comes with being vulnerable with my my Morgan. That comes with everything. Whenever there's a big hurdle or a big challenge, I always choose the risk. Totally. I always choose the risk. Totally. Do so- you too? I think so. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Look at who I married. <laughs> Come that on. was safe, right? Yeah, that wasn't a safe choice. It wasn't I remember a safe choice. thinking, like, we're going to be broke forever. Like, this guy's never going to. What the? He can't put his laundry like, away you effectively. And Morgan need to meet. You know, <laughs> he, he, that was the whole thing too. He was because he is very. Morgan is killing it in his career too, and it couldn't be more opposite than than what I do. And his whole thing was like, this job needs to be financially stable. You need to work for it. And you know, for a long time in your career, you tell someone you're a comic, they're like, how's poverty? Yeah, you know right? what I mean? They don't <laughs> understand at all what you can, what the possibilities are for yeah. you too. And Morgan was knowing that that was true, but he knew that like I had abilities and what also could be true. So he like nurtured that. And right. He was like, when, when this ball is rolling, mm-hmm that will be the time to go all into. And he, we like did it together and it was just like, wow. Well, what does he do? I can't say exactly what he works for, okay. but he is very high up in analytics in a company in Seattle. Got it. Yeah. Okay. He's a brain. He is. He's a brain. He's a workhorse. He's a powerhouse and he's a mover and a shaker. He is, I will tell you that the work that he does influences a lot of the world. A lot of the way. And he's the smartest man I've ever met. That's great. Uh-huh. It's cool. What's your favorite thing about him? Um, I love that he is a man who can do everything. There are things that he won't know what to do and he'll be able to figure out how to do it and not only how to do it, do it well. And that could go from fixing things in the house to like an art project to being there for somebody in a situation that he's never encountered before. He's a good friend and he's a good man. He's just a good person. Oh, that's amazing. I have a joke about it too, about how he is good at everything and I'm good at like, I think just stand up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, But he is good at everything. It's cool. It's cool to watch. That's really great. Yeah. Yeah. And Uh, you're getting married? We are getting married in June of this. In June? It's coming up. Seven months away. How are you feeling? Stressed? Okay. So here's what I said to him. Yeah. I was like, listen, my job is attention on me at all times, all the time. If if you are fine with it, I think I could be okay with a very small wedding with intimate family, the end and a few friends. And I could be fine with that. He's like, well, that's not my career. And I do feel like I kind of want like the big to do. And I was like, okay, if that's what you want, like, let's do it too. The planning is so... <laughs> we're having this wedding that I'm like, this is unbelievable. We don't want anything uh, traditional or stereotypical. Personal opinion, I don't like going to a same-sex wedding where 
they're trying to fit the mold of what they always thought a wedding was. Right. You know, it just doesn't, for some reason, there's a disconnect. So our main word is uniqueness. We're going for outside the box. We're going for new traditions that we hope that other people will appreciate and adopt. And uh, with that comes a lot of challenges and a lot of wake-up calls. Yeah? People out here capitalizing on love like crazy. Weddings? Leanne. Come on. We're in the wrong business, right? Leanne. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Yeah, we're in the wrong business. I got quoted for a wedding cake the other day. Now, mind you, I did give them a little bit of it. There was some fabulosity on this cake. I didn't think anything too extreme. What do you think a wedding cake right here in the year 2023? Five grand. Yeah. That's what it was? Yes. That's what my whole wedding cost. I spent five grand on my whole wedding. I can't wedding. be on this podcast. <laughs> I, like the jealousy, the envy that's like inside my body. Your wedding cost $5,000? Yes. We were broke. And I- Where'd you get married? In LA? Georgia. In Georgia? We got married in Georgia. Okay. Family, so, church. That was yeah, our whole yeah. thing. We're like, we can go back to Michigan and get married and cut costs or North Carolina and cut costs. But- we don't want the wedding to be one-sided. So we're like, we'll do it in Seattle right. where we're putting down roots. Yeah. That's not cutting costs. No, I'd imagine not. That's not cutting costs. No. Yeah, weddings can get bananas. $5,000. Yeah, for a cake. $5,000 for a cake. And the quote on flowers was absolutely insane. Wait, I hold told on. The How big was this cake? Four How- tiers. Four tiers, which I thought is acceptable. Four tears is, yeah, there's a boa. What's the fondant made of? Cocaine? Like, this is literally, like, $5,000. That's insane. So then I did come back to Morgan. Yeah. And we had a little come to Jesus moment. And I said, what is most important to you about this wedding? And everything, we've thrown out words. We're throwing out feelings and vibes and emotions. And then I I said, based off of everything that we're saying the quality and the flavors of these foods are what's important, mm-hmm. not the look, not the picture. Mm-hmm. So with that, we're kind of coming back and we're like, maybe we'll double down and do like really great dessert table rather than just like a cake. Yeah, because it's not traditional. You can do whatever you want. We're, and trust me, we are. That's great. Okay, you want to hear some shit about the wedding? Yeah, please. Do you ever watch a show Bridgerton? No. Do you know about it? Yeah. Okay. So in the show, whenever there's these like ballroom dance scenes, there's a string quartet playing, but they're playing like modern pop, like Ariana Grande, just like modern songs. So I wanted to find a string quartet that'll do 90s rap and hip hop. Shut up. That's amazing. I called this guy and I was like, yo, this is what I want. You know, I want it to feel sound classic, but it's really these 90s rap and hip hop songs. Something like Bridgerton. He goes, oh yeah, I wrote the music for Bridgerton. (gasps) (laughs) Shut up. Like you're fucking hired. Yeah. And he said that, oh, and I'll, and I'll rewrite some songs if like there are ones that are not on the list. So we're having like my neck, my back. Oh We're doing like a number hoochie mama. I love it. Yeah. Stuff like that. That's awesome. Uh That's going to be so fun. I am stoked for that. Heck yeah. How many people are coming? We're inviting around 220. Jeez. Yeah. But it's a it's, nice size wedding. Technically, it's a destination wedding. 95% of the invites are not local to Seattle. Right. So with that, we're going. We're going. Yeah. Probably be we're about going back. Going right. back. We'll see. We'll yeah, see. And we're fine with whatever. Yeah. No pressure. Come, have a good time. Don't, don't. We're no yeah, pressure. Totally. But we're but we're gonna have a good time. Yeah, heck yeah. We're gonna have a good That's time. That's so exciting. We're both party. Friends of our groups, yeah, and families, yeah. So we're throwing down. You think you'll have kids? 
100% absolutely no doubt. We asked each other on our first date if that was in our future. And we both knew that if either one said no, that we weren't going to continue dating. Wow. Yep. Do you think you'll surrogate or you adopt? Um, Not quite sure at this point. Not quite sure at this point. I think one hurdle at a time. I think also that I want to get my career at a place too, where bringing children into my crazy career will be um, to a point where I can take some time off and then pick right back up. And I had already established such a dedicated fan base that mm -hmm. I can have that ability to right. take some time. Well, I can tell you how that worked for us. Yes. Which I think is a pretty good model. Yes. Not, not, to, not to say that you shouldn't do your plan, but we had kids before Bert had real notoriety. So the kids were uh, brought up really normal. Okay. So what we did was we said, Bert started touring when George was three days old. So he toured their whole life. So they didn't know anything different. So I would build in one week a month, you don't tour. So you get three weeks a month and then one week a month you're home. Of course, he came home. Was like, he doing weekends at the time yeah. in clubs? Okay. Yeah, okay. he's doing like Thursday, Friday, Not Saturday, Sunday. Not theaters yet. Not theaters yet. Okay. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Clubs. So he came home Monday, left again Wednesday or Thursday. The days he was home, he had to be plugged in. Dad, so, D-A-D. Yeah. The days he was home, in the beginning, we had a nanny for Thursday, Friday only because we couldn't afford it. Okay. So when he was home Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, he was drop off, pick up, every meal, bath time, um, laundry. He was dad. And then when he left, he was comic. And I nannied or took over because I worked full time yeah. in the beginning. Yeah. Um, what were you doing? I managed an apartment building. Oh, okay. I managed three apartment buildings actually at the same time. Um, and so I could work from home, but I also had an office that I had to go to. There were sometimes, you know, I have to show apartments. I had to, I had to have another adult around. But he didn't start getting notoriety really in a broad way until the girl, until the girls were in high school. So until high school, he was just like everybody else's dad. He was not special. Um, the only difference was he was fully on duty three days a week. Whereas most dads come home at 7 p.m. and are home on the weekends. So it really was in quantity and quality of time, probably better than a nine to five dad, right? That's how we framed it. I don't know if it's true, but that's how we framed it for ourselves and for our kids. And um, our kids have often said they're really glad he didn't get famous to learn high school. Oh. Often. Because then they knew their friends were their friends. And what happened when he got recognizable is friends started becoming a little suspect. Why are you here? They're asking a lot of questions about dad. They want to come over to my house. Why? Ooh. Why are you here? What, what's your motivation here? Whereas... And, and they're how old when this is starting? Um, probably... Double digits? Yeah, like Both 13, 15. Okay. Okay. Something like that is when he started getting some Good. notoriety. So they had some ability to start recognizing yeah. signals. Okay, cool, cool, yeah. okay. So not to discourage you from your plan. No, no, no. Just to give you information. Liam, literally, this is super important for yeah. me to be hearing. <laughs> you're, you're talking about my inevitable life, and I'm. Right. these are the questions that Morgan and I go back and forth about a lot. Well, I can tell you this, that as Bert got more um, famous and busy— he had less time 
to spend with the kids, but because he had spent all those years really plugged in, it was like, I have a therapist even to this day, and she always says, you're making deposits in the savings account. Sometimes you have to make a withdrawal. If your deposits are more than your withdrawals, you're fine as a parent. You just have to make sure you've made enough deposits. So Uh when he started traveling, he'd made so many deposits for those first 13, 15 years that when he was making withdrawals, it didn't negatively affect their core relationship that much. So just to put it in your brain and being forced because of our financial situation, being forced to parent was so important for him. Because then as he got busy and he started feeling bad about not being around, I would remind him, but remember how much you've been around. Oh, yeah. They know you're there. You just got to keep calling, keep texting, keep reaching out to them in their teenage age appropriate way. And they'll, it's all there. Those deposits in the bank are there. But we have friends who had kids after they got famous or after they got really busy And they're not as connected to their kids. And I don't think it's um, a coincidence. You know, we had no choice. And um, it was a gift. A real gift. So as you're planning, just put that in your little bonnet. I want to tell you about our planning because we've started already. Can I use your bathroom first? Yes, right there. Okay. That door with the gold. (laughs) No, 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 that one, that door. Yeah. Oh my God, I'm so excited. Yes. Okay, so tell me why you needed to hear that today, mister. We're, we are, we're critical thinkers. Uh-huh. We're deep thinkers too. And we've thought all this out too. Mm. And everything that you're telling me is uh, uh, affirming what we've come up with. So where we're at right now is I'm, a, I'm about to break into... Th- a theater tour. Amazing. My upcoming tour is half theaters, half clubs. Amazing. Which I'm very, very proud of too. Yeah. And between now and the wedding and then post-wedding to children, Morgan and I have made the decision to build the career and the fan base as strong as it possibly can because when we do have kids, mm-hmm. I'm going to take a, a significant chunk of time off, significant like at least two months to just get ingrained into that mm-hmm. life too. And then what we're thinking is, is by that time, I'll be able to do theaters and I'll do four days a month, Mm -hmm. two shows, four different cities, one, two, three, four, and then be home for their first real development until they're like going into school. And maybe I can do like two weekends a month, the same type of touring situation, but really build it up to be able to be home and be present because I know a lot of these comics too who will straight up be like, yeah, my kids don't know me. Yeah. I don't, I don't really know what they're into. I don't know what's up. And I can't be that dad. Yeah, no. I can't I, be that dad. You don't seem to be that kind I, of dad. I need to be, I want to be a dad. I want to be a present dad. I want my kids to know, like, I want to help develop them and I want them to be involved too. And Morgan and I both know this and like that I will not allow my career to impede on me being a father. And people often said when I was a teacher, how are you a teacher and a comedian? How are you doing both? And I was like, I'll do both for as long as I can Mm -hmm. until I'm not. And I was able to do it because I never told myself I couldn't. Mm -hmm. 
And a lot of people are like, oh, you're going to be a dad in a comic. You're never going to be around. You're going to be an absent father. And I look at them and I say, no, I won't because I'm not going to allow myself to be. I will do both things and I will succeed and yeah. I will come up on top right. because that's what I want for myself in my life. Mm -hmm. And I feel like a lot of people don't um, give themselves the opportunity to invest time in two things powerfully in, in what they want. And I know I want to be a dad and I know I want to be a very successful comic and no one's telling me no, I will be both. That is such a good piece of information because you can actually have, I don't want to say you can have it all, but you can kind of have it all if you know that you have to work at it. Yeah. I think the problem people thinks, people, the problem is that people think you can have it all without working at it. Mm -hmm. we set up the system so that he had no choice but to work at being a parent, right? Bert is a path of least resistance motherfucker in regular life. Like, if that's his coffee cup, that's going to stay there till it rots. He's not putting that shit in the garbage. So, if but if I was at home with the kids, he's going to phone it in. So, I think the universe set it up where he had no choice. Like, yeah. I was at the office, End of story. Right. But then in starting it that way, I think he figured out, oh, I can do both of these things really easily. You can't, he can't do stand up and raise a kid literally at the same hour of the day, but he can do them both in the same week yeah. and do them both beautifully and excellently. Yeah. You just have to work at it. Yeah. It was not easy. And, and to be the partner of the person for Morgan, to be the partner of the person is to allow that person to parent in their way as long as your value system lines up, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right? So, Bert used to walk the kids to Trader Joe's at the end of the block, get a huge loaf of French bread, break it in half, give one half to Georgia, one half to Isla, and shop. I would never do that because my brain goes, oh, my God, we're ruining dinner. They can't eat a half a loaf of French bread. That They're going to be constipated for like four days. This is terrible, terrible parenting. You know, you guys, where's your protein? No balance in this meal. But that was something they knew. They were going to the store with daddy. They were going to eat like a half a loaf of bread. Bring it on. They were super happy. So it developed a relationship. So for me not to try and control that for the nutritional value of it, when if you look at the, of the you know, span of a week, they're eating fine. Right. Let them have a fucking loaf, a loaf, a loaf of bread and call it a day. They're doing right. They're doing and all they're right. They're fine. <laughs> he got his shopping done pain-free. Yep. And now all the healthy food in the basket is going in their body. But right now they just ate a half a loaf of white bread. Yeah. Come on. So I think that's something that's hard for women at least to let go of how the dad parents, you okay. know? To let go of how the other person parents because at the end of the day, does your value system add up? You're going to the grocery store to buy good food right. for our kids. It's okay. We don't eat bread every day, all day long. Right. Like that. Right. I don't know. For me, just realizing I had to just not worry about how he parented was really helpful. Yeah. Because you can't, and then when you go away, I think a lot of times too, I know comics who travel, who are moms, who worry about what dad's doing at home. What are they doing? They're screwing up the stuff that I did. Can't do that. I mean, I'm I for sure will be the dad who has like an inflatable pool in the basement and uh, we're swimming oh yeah. in December. Like oh stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. We Morgan and I have talked about this already pre-planning. And 
we know that we're going to have moments of absence from one of us. Yeah. So what he does on the weekends, this is this dad and yeah. how this dad runs the ship. And when I'm home and you're doubling down on work and we've talked about it because we've, we have, we respect each other so much that we've had these deep conversations and we've come to realize that when I'm on the road, we're both able to double and triple down on our careers. Right. He's able to work harder and grow and I'm able to work harder and grow. And right. it's like making us stronger as a unit for what our long-term game plan is. Right. Right. And because of that, we know that we're going to be super respectful of each other's parenting styles. I mean, we're going to have trials and tribulations, of sure. course. Yeah. But that's, that's cool. It is. Yeah. We're kind of, we're kind of like no excuse guys mm -hmm. where one of the things that I learned from him early on in our dating too is to be a solution oriented person. If you have a problem, totally cool to bitch about it and whatnot too, but like come to the table with a way to fix it as well. Right. And with that, we're able to be forward thinkers and like what are the challenges going to be in being a touring comedian father? Mm -hmm. And you know, it's you can't just let shit fall off the wayside. What's the plan? Yeah. And I think thinking about that like <laughs> pre-child is what's gonna make it work. Right. Here's a pitfall Bert and I fell into. I'll give you this piece of information too. I got into a rhythm where he was gone so much that I just parented. I just would like plow through stuff, especially small things where I didn't think it, it need, I needed to bother him with it. And it backfired on us when we got, when we had teenagers. Okay. Where all of a sudden I was always the bad guy because I was always the cop because he was traveling for work right. or at, uh, you know, a function or right. whatever. So I just started leaving him out of parenting uh, for convenience, for expediency, for fill in the blank, a ton of reasons. Not because I thought, screw this guy, but I literally was like, well, let me handle this and move on to the next thing. And at a certain point, he, uh, we, had a, we had some parenting stuff with Georgia and he was like, I don't think she respects me because you have kind of taken over and that's not working for me. And so for him to kind of try and recalibrate was a real power struggle because I had taken over out of kind of necessity, sort of, mm -hmm. of just like the semantics of how life was working at the time. And at one point, Bert, to his credit, was like, call me any time of the day or night. When you're parenting her, I need to be on a speakerphone. Okay. I need to be listening to what you're saying. I need so that she can see that you and I are a team. Not that mom's handling this. Mom's handling this. Because at the end of the day, mom sucks, right? Because she's the one parenting. And dad has no control or power. So it really, I, my trying to be proactive really undermined our partnership as parents. Wow. Right? Does that make sense? Yeah. So he completely identified that. And he said to me, here's how I think we fix it. And it completely fixed it. Wow. Like to just go, okay, let's have this conversation. Let's get dad on the phone. Get him on the phone. Let's talk through this shit. Here, here's our solution. Here's our our consequence. That's we're all in agreement here. Mom and dad are a team. Huh. I have two questions for you. Yeah. One, um, what what's it like traveling as a family for for work reasons? Mm -hmm. Like, do did you do that when the kids were little or did you save mm -hmm. that till they were okay, you did. We didn't travel a lot, uh -huh. but we did travel. Um, and here's what we did. Bert has a routine on the road mm -hmm. and Bert is so self-focused on the road, which is why wouldn't he be? You know, he's by himself. So 
we would have to, when the kids were little, really kind of craft what the day looked like so that Bert could get what he needed to perform that night. So Bert needs to work out. He needs to nap and then he needs to work out. Well, the kids aren't going to go work out at like four. They're not working out and nap. Screw you. We're not napping. So, you know, I was always very aware of the most important thing we're on the road is actually him, not our kids. Our kids don't care if they eat a happy meal in the hotel room. They Mm -hmm. think that's fabulous. So we would always get two rooms and I would stay with the kids in one room and he would stay in a room by himself as if he was on tour so that he could run his day because we're not there for vacation. We're there for work, right? So I had to get my brain in that place so that I really was like, it's a vacation with me and the kids and we see dad from time to time instead of dad's with us. And he just coincidentally has a show that night. You said the most important thing too that Morgan has said. He said to me a few years ago, which I broke down. He was having a hard time being gone so much. And I was feeling, I was mainly feeling worried that he was feeling disconnected from me because I was gone so much. And I was like trying to wrap my head around it and vocalize these feelings to him. And he was like, hey, um, this you're working. Mm-hmm. And when he said you're working, mm-hmm. it said to me, he recognizes this as a job, even uh-huh. though to the common eye, it's happy fun time. And then he said, this would be no different if you were a business consultant for a tech company. You'd Absolutely. be gone working. And that I was like, holy shit, he gets it. He recognizes this as like my career yeah. and respects it. And I think that's what's going to help us when we travel with the kids too. Mm-hmm. I love that you said the two rooms thing because that is going to be important for me as well. I have a very detailed routine before I hit the stage. So then what when when the kids were little, mm-hmm. when they would go, how old were they when they first saw him perform? Oh, uh, two years ago. Wait, live? Yep. Two years ago? Two years ago. By their choice or yes, your guys? Yes, by their choice. Oh, God. They okay. did not want to see it. Wait, 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 They what? just wanted him to be dad. This is what I say to Morgan. I go, do you think our kids are going to be like, holy shit, he's going to be like, no, they're not going to give a fuck. No, they did not want to see it. They weren't interested. They they thought it was like gro- kind of gross that to like- Like cringe dad. Like, uh, I don't want to yeah, hear my dad. Yeah, a little bit. And like, they're not- like they they shop at a thrift store. They're not, there's some kids in Hollywood, nothing wrong with these kids, but there's some kids in Hollywood that are very fast. They're very like, I'd like the Chanel bag for my 16th birthday. That is not our children. And there's nothing wrong with those kids. That's not what we have. So they weren't interested in fame or Who's who the spotlight or, yeah. or People Magazine or any, they're, they're very anti and not interested in that. So to them, I think dad being on stage or being on Netflix was that. And they were like, that's gross. You should just be who you are for who you are. But knowing he's a comic and he's cool, he's good at it, but I don't need it in my face. Like, I don't need to see it. Especially because he talks about them so much in his specials. I don't think they wanted to see that either. Um, So Georgia, we have a a festival, fully loaded uh, comedy festival that we started two years ago, 2022. That was the first time they had seen him live. Really? Yeah. Really? Okay. Yeah. What, how was it received? Uh, Georgia saw him first. Georgia worked for the this tour is the whole two weeks. <laughs> it is, is kind of crazy, right? Yeah. It is kind of crazy. So, it's Georgia so cool. 
Georgia had just graduated high school. Yeah. And we offered her and one of her closest friends a job PAing for the whole oh, cool. tour. Oh, great, great. So they could make some money and work and get some experience. And they jumped at it. They were like, yes. So they did it for one weekend. They didn't want to do it both because they didn't think they'd like it. Um, but they did. They did the whole tour last year. But in the first week, she watched it. Watched her dad and Dave Attell and Joey Diaz and Big J Okerson. Oh and like her introduction into live standup was insanity. Um, was Nikki <laughs> Glazer. This was, lineup. This it's, lineup. It's like crazy. Oh my God. I love and it. And so I, after she saw Attell, I was like, you have to watch Dave Attell because he is my favorite comic of all time. And I know that you're super woke. Just remember, this is a comedy show, right? So <laughs> there's really no place for woke in comedy. In my Seattle, opinion, I'm going to be raising Seattle children. This is like, yeah, my there's no year. place for woke and comedy. <laughs> the reason for comedy is for you to be presented with something that makes you think differently. That is the whole purpose of comedy. It's that you can relate to something and all of a sudden a comic will put something in there where you go, okay, I have to now evaluate how I think about that. In my opinion, right? Oh my God, yes. Farting on a man's chin in sex makes you go, oh, that happened to my wife. Well, now I should not take that so seriously. You know, fill in the blank for whatever you're talking about. So she gets off, she <laughs> shows over. I call her, I go, what'd you think about a tale? And she was like, mom, I could not help myself. I was laughing through his whole set. I was like, what'd you think about your dad? And she goes, he's really smart. Oh, wow. I said, yeah, he is really smart, Georgia. She said, I, I don't think I understood how smart he was until I saw him do stand-up. And I was like, I'm going to cry. That's, that's amazing. Oh my so God. I'm going to cry too because we'd had this back and forth with the two of them. They're the same human. They are the same person. And people don't think that. Georgia and Bert? Yeah, people okay. think Isla and Bert are the same. That's not true. It's Georgia and Bert. They're the same person. And they butted heads from like, ninth grade all through 12th grade. Just everything was a struggle. Everything was digging heels in and just, I'm winning, no, I'm winning. Everything they did. And when she saw him on stage, something happened. And she started going, okay, I think you may know what he's talking about. So she started listening to him differently and her softening softened him. Oh, and shit. then he's like, okay, she values me now. Like he needed to be valued. Being valued is really important to him. And I don't think she valued him in the way that he could really receive it, right? So when she started valuing him that way, their relationship continuously since June 2022 has gotten closer and better and closer and better. And I really do think a big part of it was her seeing him on stage. That's exceptional. It was incredible. That's exceptional. And then Isla saw him... <laughs> That same summer, she just saw Different one show. show though. Uh, well, she, I, Georgia saw four shows, four nights in a row. Okay. Georgia saw one of those. I mean, Isla saw one of those four shows. Okay. And I think she started going, huh, interesting. Okay, this is really interesting. Okay, he might actually be like funny. You know, because okay, she just, okay. you know, she doesn't think he's that funny. I mean, and then this past year, she was on the whole tour with us. And by the end of the tour, she was like, I get it. I get it. No, okay, now I get it. He's really funny. It, I was still really uncomfortable with, with fame. 
Okay. She's not happy about fame. Okay. If he could be a stand-up and not be famous, he, she'd be really cool with that. Really? Yeah, but she doesn't like being stopped at the airport over and over again. And can I get a picture and interrupting us at dinner? And I mean, people will, will be in the middle of dinner. Uh, one time, Bert literally just put a bite in his mouth and this guy goes, hey man, can I get a picture? And I'm like, look at what's happening. He's chewing. Like, you wait till he's not chewing. Okay, see him drop the check and then come. You know, come on, not in the middle of dinner. Come on. It's already happening with us. It is? Yeah, so a couple things that happened that shook us and I'll tell you our game plan moving forward is um, Morgan's always been great with it. He understands that my fans are ticket paying customers 100%. Who, who I've made fall in love with the art that I'm putting out there. I, you know, people say, oh, don't call stand-up comedy art. I don't care. I think that we're very talented people who are able to construct something like that on stage. It's fully art. Fully. Yes. Um, Morgan has never had a problem with fans interacting with me or us in person. I did when they started taking pictures. He, his parents landed in the Seattle airport to come visit us for the weekend. And I was getting tagged in pictures of him and his dad picking up luggage off of the conveyor belt. And I was like, his family didn't sign up for this. Yeah, They, they don't need to be doing that. And that's where I sort of dropped the line. It really crossed the line when we bought our home and the fans posted our Redfin page what we paid. We're posting pictures of the rooms inside our house. That was way too far for yeah. both of us. And it happened again with our wedding website too, which oh was God. invasive yeah. and uncomfortable. Yeah. And because of that, uh, I believe that when we do have kids moving forward, I'm going to make a very hard stance with my fans publicly that if I'm with my kids, we'll have a signal. Give me a little something, a little wiggle, something. Don't approach us. Yeah. I don't I don't want it. And I'm sorry. I want to be here with you. If I'm by myself, I'm going to be all in like I always am. I they they are in they're coming into this world that I've created for me and until they can voice that they want to be a part of it, I don't really need this like that. And I think I'm going to be a little bit of a bitch sometimes. Mm. I think I, I have to set that boundary for them, mm -hmm. you know? Good luck with that. Tell me more. Tell me more. Well, I think it's just how it goes. I think it is just how it goes. And I think um, we feel very much the same way. We're really grateful for everybody that comes to see Bert because I really think it is art. I really think we're super privileged to have this life because he creates something out of his own brain that people like. So I have a very um, sincere gratitude when people come up to say hi and to ask for a picture. I, I I think that that is what we signed up for without knowing we signed up for it. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. There was no social media when Bert first started doing this. And even when he first started posting our kids on social media, social media was not this. Social media was Facebook where your friends checked it out. And all of our exposure of our children happened um, kind of kind of like overnight almost. The way that social media changed so quickly. Of course. It, everything was already out there. So it's not like we could reel it in so much with our kids. Um, so I don't know, when when fans approach, when you get to a certain level, it's stuff happens I didn't even know existed. Like, I don't know how people know when we're on a flight. How do they know we're on a flight? And when we're as soon as we get off the, whatever it's called that gets you from the plane to the airport, the breezeway or whatever, mm -hmm. There'll be people there with like pictures for him to sign. 
And I go, how did you know we were on this flight? How did you get that information? I don't know how that works. The pop ever pop your kids? Paparazzi? They ever get your kids? Oh, no, no, no. no we don't okay. ever have any paparazzi. We okay. always have just fans. Okay. No, we're not We're not that kind of fancy. Neither Bert nor I are good looking enough for paparazzi. <laughs> you guys are, you are up there. I don't They're think like, that question was crazy, Leanne. Somebody needs some laser treatments or something. But come on, come on. I'm kidding. But no, we don't have any paparazzi. We don't have anything Okay, like okay. We just, but we just, just have mega, mega, mega fans. And do they ever stop your kids like on their own? Have they ever been approached? No, they like, haven't. But okay. but when my, when my Georgia, when our daughter Georgia went to college, there were definitely people who, you know, they wrote her first and last name on her dorm door. And a lot of young men were like. We're in. Yeah. And she was like, this is really scary. I so, understand. Yeah. I can I can understand that. She just wants to be herself. And um, yeah, a lot of boys were like, can you introduce me to your dad? And um, I'm going to hook up with you because your dad and. And uh, it was weird. And Isla's that way too. She's like, she still is suspicious when a new friend shows up. What the, what's their motivation? Why yeah. are you here? You know, she has been lately really going back into her elementary friends, elementary school friends, because she, she's known them forever. And she knows they're not here for her dad. You know, they're here yeah. for her. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's kind of weird. Um, yeah. It's kind of weird. And we've developed like a group of friends that have been here forever. And we're, those are our, those are our ride or dies. And they, you know, Bert was just a dad who did stand up and that dad's a lawyer and that dad, you know, just regular people. So we just kind of hunker down with that. I feel so fortunate to be able to talk to you about this right now, like pre having kids too, Mm -hmm. because I think that a lot of, I mean, Hey, a lot of us comics, like we, we can be scatterbrained. Yes. The teacher in me is always proactive and I love like talking to you about this and like having someone to like soundboard it off of when it does happen because it is going to be my life and it is going to be real and it is cool to think about the way things could go, will go, or I want them to go. Mm-hmm. Well, you can love- call me anytime even after this. But yeah, I do. I like really like I, when I was going to the bathroom, I like truly like just feel like we are supposed to do this. I think so, right? I really, really do feel that way. I think so. It's been a really good conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You it's said you had two things meaningful. to ask me. What's the other thing? I was I was curious to know um, when they were little, 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 when they started to put it together that like Bert was something other that other people were recognizing. Mm-hmm. What did that development look like as they started to like put the puzzle pieces in order? That didn't happen till they were older. How old? Uh, te- like teenagers. Okay. Like, but also because that was happening in real time as they were teenagers yes. too? Yes. Okay. That's right. Okay. So his career, uh, he was a stand-up for a minute. Well, not for a minute, for a while. And then he got um, offered to host a show on Travel Channel called Birth the Conqueror. Yeah. So Birth the Conqueror was a middle America show. So not a lot of people in LA watch that show. Um it's it was a great show, but it, you know, it was just something that most, mostly middle America watched. And we don't really go to middle America. We go to Georgia to my hometown where everybody knew us anyway. We go to Florida to his hometown where everybody knew us anyway, or we were in LA. So it really didn't affect them, even though it would affect Bert. You know, he would go places in Sandusky and they'd be like, oh, it's Bert the Conqueror. But we didn't experience it. Okay. So, um, 
So that didn't really happen until, and he was with Travel Channel for six years. So for their formative years, I guess Isla was four till she was about 10. He was on Travel Channel. So he wasn't really focusing on his stand-up as much. And he was podcasting, but podcasting then wasn't what it is today. Right. So he still wasn't recognizable from there. So things really started happening when Isla was like 11, 12, 13. And then Georgia would have been 13, 14, 15. But then by the time a year or so after that, that's when he started getting really recognizable. Okay. So okay. they don't really, their experience of him was just like, he may as well be a banker. You know, I would say that all the time. It's like, you're a banker. You're just home three days all four. That's you know? what Morgan tells me too. Cause I'm curious on how our kids are going to like perceive this. Mm -hmm. And he's like, they're not going to give a shit. No. But I think part of it is I didn't want them to give a shit. I don't want them to give a shit. No. Yeah. Because then that makes him have some power that's not real. Right. Right. Like, oh know, God. Yeah. He, he oh, should yeah. just be dad. Yeah. yeah it it yeah. should not matter what your dad does for a living. Yeah. As far as being your dad, right? As it is for every other child. A hundred percent. Right. So why should it be any different for mine? Oh, I was determined, Bert and I both were determined to just have a regular home life. Bert's yeah. really white picket fence, actually more so than I am in a lot of ways. So we really just wanted them to be uh, regular and they were and they are. And they are. They're pretty, they're really regular kids. Damn. They're not fancy pants. They're, they're lovely. I, I, the things that are important to them make me proud, like being a good friend. And, uh, they both volunteer a lot and being a good listener. And that, that's the stuff that means a lot to me and to Bert. And that's who they are. You know, neither one of them are highly academic. I don't give a shit. Neither of them are, you know, one might say there's no nothing extraordinary. Like no one's like a virtuoso in violin. We don't have that kid. And that's okay. Uh, we don't care. We just want them to be who they are. And we've always asked the question, who are you? Not this is who you are. Yeah. Like who are you? Like, yeah. Show me who you are. I can equate that to someone in my family so I can understand you better maybe. But other than that, who are you? Mm -hmm. Um which makes parenting so much more fun than let me tell you who you are. Yeah. You know, it's really fun to discover a child and uh, let them reveal themselves to you. Yeah. It's really fun. Yeah. That's how, I mean, that's how it was, especially teaching kindergarten. Yeah. The kindergartners who come in on the first day of school are different than the ones who leave on the last day of school and watching that development was always fascinating to yeah. me too. And that, that was the part. But teaching kindergarten really made me excited to become a parent one day because of that development and like, it's all fake those first couple of days of school until they trust you. And now they're going to really give it to you. And it's like, God, that is amazing. And then, and then meeting their parents and realizing the apple doesn't fall far yeah. and, and what does and what does not. Yeah. I mean, it's and, fascinating. And the ability to, to apply what you're learning to yourself uh -huh. and your relationship. Oh yeah. Is a gift. Oh yeah. Is to go, huh? Look at that. I got really mad at that. Why? What's that doing to me? Hmm, interesting. Let me figure out what that means to me so I can be a better person. Yeah. Better parent, better partner, better friend, whatever. I had a couple kids who were uh, not academically, 
I won't say successful, but not academically, quite on grade level expectation, whose parents were super concerned. And I was like, okay, listen, I have three kids in this class who are exceeding grade level expectations. And I would be shocked if any of them went on to do any sort of thing that is going to really make impact. Your kid's a nice person. Yeah. And talks and thinks and shares and is engaged and listens. And those qualities, are your kid will surpass them any day of the week. Absolutely. And then they, they were like, oh, we've never taken the time to like actually think about it that mm-hmm. way, which is why it's important to like vocalize those things with just people. Oh, 100%. Yeah. That's absolutely yeah. true. Yeah. So how do we wrap this up? Oh God, you How do we me. wrap it up? You tell me. What do you, what do you have to say to the world? What are you, what are you promoting? Where are you going? What are you doing? What do you have? Leanne, I just dropped my first special. You did? I did. Where is it? I did. It's on YouTube. It's called Don't Eat the Crayons. I compiled all of my stories specifically from teaching kindergarten and mashed that into one cohesive string. Amazing. Don't Eat the Crayons on YouTube. Very, very proud of how it came out. Um... And I am on tour currently all over the country until my wedding. So how does someone find you? Um, MrDtimes3.com or Joe Wait, the Joe Dombrowski. MrDtimes3.com. So I don't know when this is going to come out. So it could have changed by then. I originally, when I was first coming up in comedy too, I fully went by Joe Mr. D Dombrowski and kept that Mr. D part. And by that time, my website was just MrDtimes3.com. Mystery times three dot com. Mr. D, why times three? Because it rhymed. Mr. D, I love it. Because <laughs> it rhymed. Teacher duh, is that? Man, duh. <laughs> because it rhymed. Mr. D times three. But all my tour dates are there. Would love to see some of your fans at the shows if they're interested. But like past that, this was this was cool. And this was for awesome. Thanks for making time for me. Oh, please. I'm so happy you came. Yeah, I'm happy, so you happy. to be here. Thank you. Even before you got here, we were just watching that video with Isla. Was the best. That's so fun. It's so great so to um, see her uh, feel seen, sort of. Even though that's not even what you were doing. Yeah. To her, it meant something a little different. Yeah. She's like, that's what every spelling test was for me. I got every. She would get every everything wrong on a spelling test. She might get one word right, and it was cat. You know, that's it. Yep. It was the bane of her existence. So to see someone do that was just so delightful to watch her watch it. It was That's really so cool. cool. It was really cool. That's cool. I'm so glad I met you. I'm so I'm happy so for all you. that you Thank have going you. on. Your wedding, wonderful relationship, this tour. Let's see what happens. It's a, very exciting. I feel like we're going to watch this back together in five years and be like, remember when we met? <laughs> remember? <laughs> God, this was our origin story. We've been friends forever now. I would be so down for that. Please. I am so down that would that. be great. I am so down for that. I would that. love it. Thank well, you. I look forward to meeting uh, Morgan. You will be. Please. I would love that. You are. Okay. Well, until next time. Until next time. Thank, Thank you, Liam. Thank you. I think that we should get together.